AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and a very warm welcome to episode 70 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 2nd of October 2021. Coming up... The time has come to give Australians their life back. We're getting ready for that and Australia will be ready for takeoff very soon. That's right, the Australian government has announced that international border restrictions will start to be relaxed from next month. I'll have all the details about what we do and don't know so far, as well as Qantas's new plan to restart some international flights from November. And later in the episode, you can now earn bonus velocity status credits on all Virgin Australia flights, as well as Virgin Reward flights for the next six months. And Velocity's also just announced another status extension for Silver, Gold and Platinum members. But when will Velocity reopen reward bookings on international flights and partner airlines? I'll take an in-depth look at what's going on with Velocity Frequent Flyer at the moment. But first, let's begin, as always, with a roundup of the other airline and frequent flyer news from the past fortnight. And firstly, while the big news this fortnight is obviously the reopening of Australia's international border, there's some more good news for New South Wales residents. Former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian announced last Monday that the state is also now set to reopen for in- for regional travel from around the end of this month for people who are fully vaccinated. Lockdown restrictions will be removed for unvaccinated people in New South Wales from the 1st of December, so around five weeks later. Qantas announced that it's preparing uh, from the end of October to significantly ramp up regional flights within New South Wales um, in line with that state's reopening plan, and this will see routes like Sydney to Ballina increase from the current two weekly Qantas uh, link flights and four weekly Virgin flights up to three Qantas link flights a day, three Virgin flights a day, and an additional five daily Jetstar flights. Clearly, they're expecting a lot of people wanting to go up to Byron Bay. Rex now expects to resume its domestic and regional services, meanwhile, from the 31st of October. Rex has been operating only a skeleton regional network within New South Wales and Victoria over the past few months and has not operated any Boeing 737 jet services since mid-July. Qantas has also announced that it now plans to bring forward the planned resumption of regular Sydney to Melbourne flights to the 5th of November based on the Victorian government's roadmap. Victoria currently classifies all parts of New South Wales as either a red zone or an extreme risk zone, making travel from New South Wales to Victoria near impossible. Over in the other half of Australia that isn't currently in lockdown, Virgin Australia has announced yet another new route connecting Tasmania with Western Australia, with a new Hobart to Perth flight to complement the Launceston to Perth flight it announced a couple of weeks ago. Qantas has extended the status fast track offer that it launched in April for a second time. People who took advantage of this status match back in April originally had three months to enjoy Qantas Club membership and to earn 100 status credits to earn full gold status. This period was originally extended until the 30th of September due to COVID-19 travel restrictions, but it's now been extended even further until the end of February 2022. 
Meanwhile, Virgin Australia has extended the expiry date on travel bank credits issued before the end of July this year in an acknowledgement of the ongoing travel restrictions in place. These travel banks will now be available to use up until the 31st of July 2022 for travel up to June 2023 since you can book Virgin flights 11 months in advance. This is the same expiration date that applies to future flight credits issued to customers who had outstanding Virgin Australia tickets when the airline went into administration last year. Qantas Frequent Flyer has fixed multiple issues that had been causing problems with the current BP Rewards promotion offering 50 status credits to anyone who made at least five $50 transactions at BP. This had been a popular offer, as there's not many ways to earn Qantas status credits on the ground, but sadly it was poorly implemented and plagued by IT issues. The first problem with the promotion was that status credits were being backdated to the date of the first of the five qualifying BP transactions. So for example, if someone spent $50 at BP on the 10th of July and then made four more qualifying transactions throughout August and September, the status credits were incorrectly posting with an activity date of the 10th of July. And this caused problems for people, for example, with a membership year ending in July, because when their status credits were posted to their account, they were immediately being deleted. The status credits were also not being rolled over correctly, which Qantas confirmed should have actually happened. Qantas now says that it will redeposit deleted status credits for people affected by this glitch, and it has confirmed that it will now be rolling over the status credits correctly for people who are eligible for a status credit rollover due to Points Club Plus membership or due to taking advantage of the recent status extension offer from Qantas. The other problem with this promotion is that some people's eligible $50 transactions at BP weren't being tracked properly by BP and therefore weren't being counted. This does appear to be an IT issue on BP's end, so if that problem applies to you, you should probably contact BP Rewards to get that rectified. And finally, British Airways has removed a bizarre rule which had prevented Australian and New Zealand residents from joining its Executive Club Frequent Flyer program for the past two decades. The rule was a hangover from the time when Qantas and British Airways had a long-standing joint venture on flights between Australia and New Zealand and Europe. At the time, Qantas asked British Airways not to accept enrolments from Australians and New Zealanders because Qantas wanted them to, of course, join Qantas Frequent Flyer instead. But Qantas ended its joint venture with British Airways back in 2013, replacing it with a new partnership with Emirates, and British Airways bizarrely retained that ban on Australia and New Zealand residents until now. From now on, Australians will no longer get an error message when trying to sign up to the Executive Club program or change the address listed on their account to an Australian address. And in other news, British Airways management is now thoroughly confused by the number of its members who have moved from Austria to Australia in the past week. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Turn your bills into business class with the SNP app. Whether it's an ATO bill, rates, utilities, phones, school fees, body corporate or any of the other 60,000 plus bills with a BPAY biller code on it, you can pay it with SNP and earn full frequent flyer points for your credit card spend. You can use your Visa, MasterCard or American Express to pay bills with the SNP app and pay just a 1.5% processing fee including GST. There are no other hidden fees. 
the 1.5% processing fee even applies for American Express payments. Now, that's just 0.05% more than the ATO's card payment surcharge for Amex. And with SNP, you'll earn points on your Amex card at the full everyday spend rate and not the reduced rate that you'd normally get at the tax office. SNP also has some convenient features. You can connect your emails to the SNP app and have your billers automatically added to the app when they arrive in your inbox. You'll then get a handy push notification when your bill's ready for payment. You can pay the bill on the spot, schedule it for later, set up an instalment plan or create a recurring payment. And you can even use Apple Pay or Google Pay. So it's no surprise why SNP has processed more than $150 million worth of bill payments and counting. It really is the easiest and most rewarding way to pay your bills. With tax time in front of us now, there's never been a better time to try SNP. Simply download the free SNP app on your mobile device and enter the code AFF10 on sign up for $10 off your first bill payment. That's SNP with two I's, S-N-I-I-P. Well, after more than 18 months, yesterday, Australians finally got the news that they've been waiting for. Not being able to go to funerals, children not being able to go to school, families not being able to come together, significant religious celebrations, not being able to sing in church. All of these things, whether they be seen as small sacrifices or very great sacrifices, they have imposed a heavy burden on Australians. It's time to give Australians their lives back. That's right. The federal government is preparing to remove the unprecedented international travel ban that had been in place for Australian citizens and permanent residents since March 2020. Once each Australian state and territory reaches 80% double-dose vaccination coverage, the federal government will no longer ban people who are fully vaccinated from leaving those states to travel overseas. The inbound arrival caps in the other direction into each state will also be removed for vaccinated Australian citizens and permanent residents. Now, this is not a full removal of all international travel restrictions. Far from it, in fact. Australians will still need to quarantine at home for seven days when returning to the country if they're vaccinated, or children as well. And anyone who is not an Australian citizen or permanent resident, an immediate family member of one, or otherwise has an exemption to travel to Australia, is still banned from entering the country indefinitely. So if you have friends or family overseas who aren't immediate family members and they're not an Australian citizen or permanent resident, they won't be allowed to come and visit you in Australia still for some time. At some stage next year, some states will begin to allow the return of international students and skilled migrants, and it's been announced that New South Wales will probably be the first to start doing that from early next year. But after such a long time with most Australians completely banned from travelling overseas or effectively locked out of their own country due to the inbound arrival caps, this is welcome news for so many people. Here's an excerpt of what Scott Morrison had to say yesterday when announcing the new border arrangements. It is, will be time very soon that we will be able to open those international borders again and that will enable Australians who are fully vaccinated and Australians and residents of Australia who are overseas who are fully vaccinated to be able to travel again and to be able to lift those caps on our airports in states where they have moved into phase C of the program. Um, and that is where Australia is now preparing to move. This will happen next month. That's when it'll start happening from next month. As states move into those 80% vaccination rates, we've already got the technology and the other things in place that will support those states 
being able under phase C of the plan to enable their residents and citizens to leave the country and return and also those residents and Australians who are overseas to return to Australia um, as if they are vaccinated with uncapped restrictions on their arrival in those states which have moved into that phase. So let me explain that a little more. What needs to happen for that to occur? To reopen safely and to stay safely open under our national plan. Firstly, we need home quarantine pilots in New South Wales and South Australia to conclude and be successful so they can be rolled out at scale. That seven-day home quarantine for Australian citizens and permanent residents fully vaccinated with a vaccine approved for use in Australia or recognised by the TGA. And 14-day managed quarantine for anyone not vaccinated or vaccinated with a vaccine not approved or recognised by the TGA. So fully vaccinated Australians will be able to leave and return to states that have passed that 80% vaccination threshold. But this won't happen for every state on the same day. New South Wales will likely be the first state, followed by the ACT and Victoria, which have high vaccination rates. And the premiers and chief ministers there have indicated that they are open to reopening international travel. But the Queensland government has made no commitment to honour the National Cabinet Agreement once its state hits the 80% vaccination coverage rate. And the Western Australian premier seems to want to keep his state's borders closed well into next year. So we'll see what happens there. Asked about this at yesterday's press conference, the Prime Minister said that if a Western Australian resident wanted to return from overseas to Sydney, where if, um, for example, New South Wales was accepting international arrivals, but WA still had the caps in place, they would still need to wait in New South Wales until WA then began allowing arrivals from New South Wales, which may not be until well into next year. Now, the vaccines currently approved by the TGA for use in Australia are the Pfizer-BioNTech, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson and Moderna vaccines. The TGA also has announced that it will recognise the Sinovac and Covishield vaccines. The Covishield is the AstraZeneca Serum Institute of India vaccine uh, for the purpose of international travel. But the TGA at the moment recommends that the Sinopharm vaccine not be recognised at this stage due to an absence of trial data, and it's not yet yet reached a conclusion on other COVID-19 vaccines in use around the world, but um, the TGA is looking into that at the moment. Australian citizens and permanent residents who can't be vaccinated, such as people with a medical condition or children under 12, will be treated as vaccinated for the purpose of international travel. So that means that children won't be banned from travelling overseas due to being ineligible to receive a vaccine. The government has not yet finalised COVID-19 testing requirements for international travel, but it says that it expects testing will continue to be a requirement, although it may uh, begin to allow rapid antigen tests to be used instead of the uh, PTR, PCR tests, rather, which are more expensive and take longer to process. We also know that there will be no traffic light system. Arrivals from all countries will be treated equally. Um, so basically, you'll either have to quarantine or you won't. Except, in ca- so except though in cases where the government eventually does restart quarantine-free travel bubbles with countries like New Zealand when it's safe to do so. Although we don't really have any information yet about when this might happen. And in fact, I'm currently in New Zealand and registered with DFAT here um, since there's no flights at all from Australia from New Zealand to Australia at the moment. And I got an email from the Australian High Commission yesterday to say that they had no details at all about the announcement that Australia's border may reopen in November. And in fact, in the email, they actually underlined the word may in uh, may reopen. So they don't seem to be too sure that it's actually going to happen actually at all. Um, so don't get me wrong. Today's announcement is absolutely a step in the right direction. And it's welcome news for a lot of Australians. But 
you know, like everything, the devil will be in the detail and it will be really good to see some more of that detail over the coming weeks and months. But for me, there are still quite a few unanswered questions. Um, You know, obviously, we don't know yet exactly what date the borders will reopen in each state and territory. But beyond that, you know, when will um, the government open up to international tourists, for example? Will DFAT remove its level four do not travel warning for pretty much every country except New Zealand, which will allow um, more travel insurance options? What kind of housing and living arrangements will be acceptable for home quarantine? Do you need to have a whole house to yourself, for example, or can you isolate in an apartment if you have your own bedroom and bathroom? Things like that. If you don't live in a major city where there's an international airport, for example, say you live in Wagga Wagga, will you be allowed to take an onward domestic flight after you arrive back into the country in order to get home so you can isolate at home for seven days? And what happens if you don't have a suitable home to isolate in? Will you be allowed to pay for your own hotel room or could you book an Airbnb, for example? And will unvaccinated passengers be allowed on the same international flights into Australia as vaccinated passengers? Um, Yeah, I'll be eagerly awaiting answers to all of these questions, as I know many other people will be, but hopefully there will be some more clarity in the near future on those issues. Now, based on yesterday's announcement, Qantas has revised its planned start date for the relaunch of commercial international flights. In late August this year, Qantas had announced that it planned to restart international flights to seven countries from the 18th of December. And those countries are the UK, United States, Canada, Singapore, Japan, Fiji and New Zealand. Qantas still does plan to restart most of those flights in mid-December, but it has now brought forward the planned resumption of flights from Sydney to London and Sydney to Los Angeles to the 14th of November, which actually happens to be my birthday, um, pending final confirmation of the exact date that New South Wales will open back up. A couple of those flights um, between London and Sydney have already sold out, even though they only went on sale yesterday afternoon, which has actually prompted Qantas already to add a few more London to Sydney flights in November already. For the first week of those operations between Sydney and London and Sydney and Los Angeles in November, Qantas is also making every seat available to book as a classic flight reward using Qantas frequent flyer points, so using that uh, points plane initiative. The Sydney to London flights are currently scheduled to operate via Darwin instead of Singapore, although Qantas is not actually selling any seats just at the moment um, just between Sydney and Darwin or between Darwin and London. At this stage, um, you need to book all the way through between Sydney and London or vice versa, and it's just just, um, scheduled as a 90-minute refueling stop in Darwin at this stage with no passengers on or off the plane. But we are expecting further clarification from Qantas about its London schedules and where they'll be stopping over in the next couple of weeks. This doesn't actually seem to have been finalised yet. Meanwhile, the Qantas flight from Melbourne to London, uh, which is currently scheduled to restart in December, uh, will also likely operate via Darwin instead of Perth, as it normally does. So at this stage, Qantas plans to be operating 11 long-haul international routes by mid-December, and that's not including those flights from Sydney to Nandi in Fiji or the Trans-Tasman flights. Now, the routes they plan to be operating in December are Sydney to London, Sydney to Honolulu, Sydney to Singapore, Melbourne to London, Sydney, Los Angeles, Brisbane, Los Angeles, and Melbourne, Los Angeles, Sydney to Tokyo, Sydney to Vancouver, and Melbourne and Brisbane to Singapore. But with Qantas's A380s grounded until at least, at least the middle of next year, the Boeing 747s retired and also the delivery of three more Boeing 787 Dreamliners on order deferred until at least the second half of 2022, Qantas doesn't actually have enough planes to operate all of these long-haul flights. 
To get around this, Qantas is planning to fly Airbus A330s-200s from Brisbane to Los Angeles and also later from Brisbane to San Francisco when that route restarts instead of the usual Boeing 787s that are normally used on those routes. The flights from Los Angeles and San Francisco to Brisbane are clocked at 14 hours and 25 minutes, which is beyond the current certified range of an A330-200. So clearly this presents a few operational challenges for Qantas, although they pretty much have to um, uh, meet those challenges because otherwise they have no aircraft to operate those flights. Qantas is currently in the process of getting approval from Airbus to extend the range of its A330-200s to allow flights on those trans-Pacific routes. This doesn't involve any like physical changes to the aircraft, but Qantas does need to sign off on some documentation. And this is not the only hurdle that Qantas needs to overcome. Those flights being so long, especially westbound back into Australia, are going to be weight restricted um, due to the amount of fuel that's need to that will need to be carried and the maximum takeoff weight restrictions on that aircraft. So Qantas will be limited in the amount of freight it's able to carry and it will also not be able to sell 100% of seats. Additionally, because the crew duty times on those westbound flights are in excess of 15 hours, Qantas is going to need to provide crew rest facilities. But unlike the A380s and the 787s which have bunk beds for the crew, Qantas does not have a dedicated cabin crew rest area on its Airbus A330-200s. Those planes, of course, are normally used on domestic flights, trans-Tasman flights and those shorter routes to Asia like to Jakarta and Manila. To overcome this problem, and um, since the you know since Qantas can't sell all of the seats anyway because of the weight restrictions, Qantas is planning to block one business class seat from sale to use as a pilot rest area. That's going to be seat five A, and an additional twenty economy class seats won't be sold, um, and instead they'll be used as a cabin crew rest area. So Qantas will block rows thirty three to thirty seven in the middle section of the A three thirty economy cabin um, on those flights to use as cabin crew rest. And so that's basically uh, five rows of four economy seats. I do wonder, though, if the cabin crew rest conditions are really conducive to a peaceful sleep or rest. Uh, You know, each cabin crew member is going to have a row of four seats to sleep across during their break, which is better than nothing. But, I mean, many of us have tried to sleep across a row of seats in economy before. And, you know, if we know that it's not the same as a proper bed, it's just not as comfortable. And the crew is also going to be surrounded by other passengers um, with potentially only a makeshift curtain separating them from the rest of the economy cabin. And um, and to top it off, the seats that Qantas is allocating as crew rest are right in front of the toilets. So I can, I mean, I can already see confused passengers moving themselves into one of the crew rest seats during the flight, or even waking up crew during their rest breaks to ask for a drink because they think they're on duty. And um, you know, they're probably going to be a bit confused and think that the crew are being lazy and sleeping on the job, um, when really they're just having their break in in the middle of the economy cabin. Now, you can read more about um, how Qantas plans to fly A330s to the US in an article I wrote on Thursday. You'll find that linked in the episode notes. But this uh, stopgap measure will essentially free up enough Boeing 787s to operate their international schedule that it now has planned up until the middle of February 2022. Now, I did some calculations, though, and for Qantas to operate all of the Boeing 787 flights it currently has scheduled beyond the 14th of February 2022, it would need an absolute minimum of 12 Boeing 787 frames. Uh, and that's without having any spare aircraft in case one of them breaks down or needs unscheduled maintenance, for example. Now, Qantas has 11 787s, so 
um, unless I'm missing something, it will actually be impossible for Qantas to operate all of the 787 flights that it has scheduled beyond February at this stage. And it gets worse if you look at Qantas's currently loaded schedule beyond the 27th of March next year. So from the 14th of February, Qantas plans to resume flights from Sydney to San Francisco and Sydney to Dallas-Fort Worth using 787s. And from the 27th of March, it's also currently scheduled to resume Sydney to Johannesburg and Sydney to Santiago flights. But in order to operate all of those 787 flights, it would need 14 787s uh, from the end of March next year. And again, they'll only have 11, so you can absolutely expect some changes or cancellations to the Qantas schedule going forward. Now, I would also now that note that Qantas is currently only selling full fare seats on its route from Sydney to Shanghai, which would indicate to me that they're probably expecting that those flights won't operate. Now, of course, Qantas is not your only option for traveling overseas. I mean, far from it. There's around two dozen airlines that have all continued to fly to Australia throughout the pandemic and are still operating international flights here right now, albeit at a significant loss. And I'll, I'll, I'll name those airlines because I think, you know what, they frankly deserve to be rewarded for that. Uh, those airlines are Air New Guinea, All Nippon Airways, Asiana, Cathay Pacific, China Airlines, China East and China Southern, Delta, Emirates, Etihad, Eva Air, Garuda Indonesia, Japan Airlines, Korean Air, Malaysia Airlines, Qatar Airways, Scoot, Singapore Airlines, Sri Lankan, Thai United and Xiamen Air. Now, Qantas, meanwhile, hasn't operated any international passenger flights in or out of Australia on a commercial basis, other than to New Zealand when the Trans-Tasman bubble was open since March 2020. It's just been doing those government-sponsored um, repatriation flights on behalf of DFAT. Well, it's now October, and from the start of this month until the end of March 2022, Velocity Frequent Flyer members will be able to earn bonus status credits on all Virgin Australia flights. This includes short-haul international flights to Fiji, which Virgin is currently planning to resume from the end of December. The exact amount of bonus status credits you'll earn will depend on the distance of the flight and the fare class booked, as per the tables on the Velocity website, but basically you'll be earning double status credits on all economy fare types and around 45% bonus status credits on all business fares for the next six months. As well as that, for the next six months, Velocity members will be able to earn status credits on Virgin Australia domestic flights booked using Velocity points. You'll earn status credits on economy reward seat bookings at the regular economy light earn rate, and business reward seats will earn at the usual rate for economy choice fares. So basically how this will work is for flights between 1 and 600 miles, you'll earn 5 status credits on an economy reward booking or 15 status credits on a business reward. On Zone 2 flights between 601 and 1,200 miles in length, you'll earn 7 status credits on economy, 20 status credits for business. And above 1,200 miles on domestic flights, you'll earn 10 status credits for economy and 30 in business class. Now, interestingly, the, the distance-based zones being used for this promo are actually based on the reward chart rather than on the usual zones, which would apply for earning on commercial bookings. Normally, when you're paying for a Virgin Australia flight, um, zone two for the purposes of earning status credits is between 751 and 1500 miles, and zone three earn rates usually apply to flights over 1500 miles, not uh, 1200 miles as applies here. And so that means, for example, on routes like Canberra to Adelaide, now that's 604 miles in distance, 
Normally, you'd, you'd earn at Zone 1 um, rates when buying a ticket, but for the purposes of this promo, you would earn status credits at the Zone 2 rate, which is actually a little bit higher if you booked a reward ticket during this promo. So that's good, I guess. Now, you can book as many domestic Virgin Australia reward flights as you like during the offer period and earn status credits for all of them. In fact, it doesn't matter uh, when you book for this offer. As long as you travel between the 1st of October and the end of March next year, you will earn the bonus status credits. Now, with this offer, um, particularly for reward bookings, the principles for maximizing velocity status credits here on Virgin Australia reward flights are similar to the strategies that apply to Qantas Points Club members uh, to maximize their status credits on Qantas domestic reward flights. So firstly, it makes sense during this promo to book business reward seats over economy, and that's because business reward seats cost only twice as many velocity points as economy seats and the same amount of taxes and carrier charges but you'll earn triple the status uh, status credits for those. Another trick to maximise this offer is to book reward flight itineraries with multiple flight sectors. Uh, That's because, you know, when you're booking a one-way reward seat booking, the price is based on the sum of all of the flights rather than as individual sectors, but status credits are earned for every individual sector. So, for example, if you just booked a single Brisbane to Rockhampton flight in business using velocity points, you'd spend 15,500 velocity points and earn 15 status credits. But if you booked a multi-stop itinerary like Launceston to Canberra via Melbourne in business, you'd spend the same amount of velocity points, slightly more taxes though, um, but you would earn 30 status credits instead of 15. Now, this offer will be useful for people looking to upgrade to a higher velocity status tier, as well as for people who are not eligible for the recently announced velocity status extensions. But if you're already a Platinum member and you qualified for the recently announced status extension, this offer might not actually be all that useful to you. Gold and Platinum Velocity members who took advantage of last year's Discover Status Rewards promo, so basically that was the promo announced last, announced last December that allowed you to extend your Velocity status for another year by booking a Virgin flight. Um, now, if you received that status extension, your status is now being extended until the 28th of February 2023. Now, that's really good news, um, you know, nothing wrong with that, but for the purposes of renewing your status beyond that date, only status credits earned in the last 12 months prior to the review date are counted. So that will be from the 1st of March 2022. So status credits earned after the 1st of March 2022. Now, Velocity is not rolling over status credits earned before this date, and there's no lifetime status with Velocity. So basically, any status credits earned before March next year won't really count for you if you already have Velocity Platinum status. The only real benefit would be if you earned enough additional status credits to give companion gold or platinum status to someone. Now, if this applies to you, you can still benefit from the higher status status credit earn rates when traveling in March 2022, but that's about it really. The other part of the new Velocity status extension announced a couple of weeks ago is an eight-month status extension for anyone else with Velocity silver, gold, or platinum status that's currently due to expire between the 30th of September this year and the 30th of April next year. So if that applies to you, you may be able to benefit still from the bonus status credit offers depending on when your new status review date lands. The elephant in the room, though, for Velocity right now is the fact that you still can't redeem Velocity points for any international flights or any reward seats on any of Virgin's partner airlines. Now, Velocity has blamed the removal of partner airline redemption bookings on government-imposed international border restrictions. 
But there are no government restrictions whatsoever preventing Velocity from selling reward tickets on other airlines, as Qantas Frequent Flyer and literally every other Frequent Flyer program in the world have continued to do throughout the entire pandemic. Um, This really is a commercial decision by Velocity, which limits cash outflow because, you know, obviously when you use your points to book on another airline, they have to pay the other airline for that seat. And I wish that Velocity would be more upfront with its members about this and rather than blaming non-existent government restrictions. But anyway, rant aside, I'm told that Velocity does plan to announce a date for reinstating reward flight redemptions on some international partner airlines in a few weeks. But that is still a little way off. Um, We're not expecting an announcement in the coming days, um, even though the international border um, announced, you know, it's actually been announced that the borders are going to reopen now. Um, And we still don't know yet which airlines uh, will actually be available to book using points. So currently, Velocity partners with Air Canada, Alitalia, Capital Airlines, Delta, Etihad, Hainan Airlines, Hawaiian, Hong Kong Airlines, Singapore Airlines, South African Airways, Virgin Atlantic and Tianjin Airlines. At this stage, all we know for sure is that reward seat redemptions will definitely be available on Air Canada because Velocity has specifically said that this year. Um, And we know that they definitely won't be available on Alitalia because Alitalia is ceasing operations on the 14th of this month for good. Several of uh, Virgin's current partner airlines, uh, other than those, were only originally partners, though, because those airlines owners were also Virgin Australia's shareholders under the old ownership structure. But Virgin is now a privately listed company owned by Bain Capital, Bain um, with a 93% stake, um, also Richard Branson's Virgin Group with around a 5% stake, and the Queensland government with a stake of around 2%, although the exact amount is undisclosed. So it may no longer make sense for Virgin to retain some of those partnerships. During the pandemic, Velocity has already removed some status benefits for its members when travelling with Delta, Alitalia, Hong Kong Airlines and Hainan Airlines including, for example, removing domestic lounge access on Delta bookings and all lounge access on Alitalia, Hong Kong Airlines and Hainan. Virgin Australia's alliance agreements with Delta and Etihad also expired last year and were not renewed. ACCC approval for Virgin's alliance with Singapore Airlines also expires in around two weeks from now and Virgin has not applied to renew this. So there are some rumours that Singapore Airlines might end the partnership with Virgin after the current agreement ends, although I would stress that these are only rumours. I have absolutely not verified this, and it's definitely not confirmed at this stage. But either way, I do think it's pretty unlikely at this point that the conversion of velocity points to Chris Flyer Miles and vice versa will be brought back. In the meantime, we now have a truly bizarre situation where you can redeem points from other airlines like Singapore Airlines Chris Fly Miles, Etihad Guest Miles or Delta Sky Miles to book Virgin Australia International flights, but you can't use Velocity points. So for now, let's wait and see what Velocity announces in a few weeks, but I do hope it's good news. Well, that's just about all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks for listening, and don't forget that if you'd like to ask me a question to answer on a future episode of this podcast, you can ask by posting it in the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, or by sending me an email. You'll find links to the topics discussed in today's episode in the episode notes, and if you enjoyed this podcast, I would very much appreciate if you'd take a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. I'm Matt Graham and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, take care, look after yourself and keep smiling. We'll all be travelling again very soon.